welcome to the KBB Review Podcast. This is episode 15 of season 2, and I'm your host as always, Andy Davis. We'll get straight to it this week because we have another bumper edition for you. First up, we look at an issue that is directly affecting delays to your deliveries and may almost certainly directly affect the prices you pay for them, and that is the current exorbitant cost of shipping stuff from one side of the world to the other. I'm talking it through with the CEO of Amdia, Paul Hyde, and the CEO of the BMA, Tom Reynolds. Then we take a look at whether the disruption of supply chain from across Europe and beyond has led more people to look to manufacturers based here in the UK. I have a chat with the new-ish Managing Director of Mirway Kitchens, Mark Mills. And finally, we do our last New Year Retailer Roundup and catch up with Joe Moll from Ocean Bathrooms in Dorset on how business has been for him so far in 2021, especially as he opened a new showroom at the end of 2020. See? Told you it was bumper. But before we get going... A quick reminder that the closing date for the KBB Review Retail and Design Awards 2021 is on Thursday, February the 18th, so the clock is really ticking now. It's totally free to enter, and any retailers and designers of kitchens and bathrooms in the UK and Ireland are eligible to enter. We have business categories highlighting the best established and brand new retailers. We also have awards for the best design projects at different project costs. And for the first time this year, we recognise the vital importance of great installers and fitters with the Installation Company of the Year Award. That's open to standalone installation businesses and retailers who run their own installation arm. And for all you suppliers and service providers out there, we have the one-off Lockdown Special Support Award. That's for you to tell us just how you and your team supported your independent retailers through all the COVID ups and downs. So, I'm repeating it because it's so important, the closing date is Thursday, February the 18th, and there will be no extensions on that date. Don't say I haven't told you. For everything you need to know, go to kbbreview.com forward slash awards. Now, there is a significant issue brewing in the world of shipping containers. Bear with me, I promise you this is going somewhere. The COVID global lockdowns have completely screwed up the logistics that get the products you sell from one side of the world to the other. And that, potentially, means two things. Obviously, the delays a lot of people have been seeing already to the arrival of that stuff and a possible increase in the price you pay for that stuff. So to talk us through this issue and why it is very relevant to retailers at the end of that supply chain, we have, I hope, friends of the pod, Paul Hyde, the chief executive of Amdia. Hello, Paul. Hi there, Andrew. Okay, we've got Paul. And we've got Tom Reynolds, the CEO of the BMA. Hello, Tom. Hi, Andrew. Good afternoon. Everyone's here. It feels like a Jeremy Vine phone-in. Brilliant. So let's get uh, our acronyms out of the way. Amdia is the Association of Manufacturers of Domestic Appliances, and the BMA is the Bathroom Manufacturers Association. So that's representing the two different sides of the manufacturers that are affected by this. Okay, so, Tom, let's start with you. I'm picking on you first. Let's pretend, for argument's sake, let's stretch our imaginations and pretend that I know nothing about international freight and shipping logistics. Okay. So can you fill us in on what's actually going on? What is the issue here that may lead to these problems for the retailer? Hopefully it's not too much of a stretch of the imagination for you to get the the large portion of products that are sold through KBB retailers in in the UK do come from overseas. And, And broadly what's happened is kind of three things have started to cause an issue. Firstly is availability. So during the first wave of the pandemic, economies all around the world seized up 
completely upended usual trade flows and it left container ships in the wrong place, seafarers in the wrong place. And following that, there's this then a huge surge of demand globally as societies opened up for, for manufactured goods. So massive shortage of containers in the places where those goods are manufactured, in principally in the Far East, and limited availability to get the empties back to where they should be. So availability is first issue. Second issue, which flows from that, is around price. So the, the prices of, of getting containers around started to be pushed up. And the reason why this is so bad in our part of the world is that the trans-Pacific routes that take goods from the Far East to America and Canada are far more lucrative. So in order to compete with that route, the prices on the, the North European routes really skyrocketed really to silly levels now. Some companies were paying kind of $1,500 per box just four or five months ago. That has been up to 10 times the, the price now. And I've heard quotes as, as high as kind of $30,000 for a 40-foot container. So there's some really funny behaviours going on. There's been some accusations of profiteering by the carriers. And the Chinese government, in fact, it is now exploring an antitrust case. So price is, is the second issue. And then the third issue, which has exacerbated things even more here in the UK, is that there's been a, a perfect storm that's created a lot of port congestion. So that's ports understaffed because of COVID-19, empty boxes piling up around ports and issues getting ships into dock when they should be. And again, that's not entirely unique to the UK, but it, it's also been paralysing in India, for instance, but it certainly seems to be a, a greater problem here on our shores, perhaps because of our reliance on a couple of major ports like Felixstowe and Southampton. Right. Okay. So, Paul, do you concur with that? Are you seeing the same issues from your side of the fence? Yeah, exactly. I mean, Tom's obviously summarised nicely what the situation is. I mean, it's fair to say that just over a year ago, container rates dropped to an all-time low, mainly because a lot of factories in China had shut and therefore the shipping demand dropped right off. So we saw, a, I guess, a two-stage. We saw pricing recovering back to where it was in 2019. But then, because factories restarted, demand's high, we all know that uh, demand for appliances, both small and large, has been very, very strong in the last year. Rates have continued to climb and climb to, to the point, as, as Tom said, where we're seeing costs three or four times what they were. Now, it obviously affects large appliances less because most large appliances that we sell and buy in the UK are made in and around Europe. They tend not to be made in the Far East because it tends to be a European model specifics and therefore most of our major manufacturers are either making in East, you know, Italy, Germany, Turkey, some Eastern European factories. So large appliances are less affected but what is very severely affected is small appliances because probably 80% plus of the volume of small appliances comes out the Far East and in particular China. So by that I mean everything from kettles to toasters, to food processors, to some uh, coffee makers. Uh, and that's lower price products as well that uh, is at more at risk from the, the very high percentage relative cost of, of container shipping. Andrew. But I'm assuming, though, it must be as much about components as it is about finished product, though. In some cases, yes. If where there's, I mean, you're right. So even large appliances that are made in Europe, there are some components that come from, from overseas. But... 
but the feedback we're getting is that the higher risk is in finished goods. I mean, what I would say is in components is you can get a, an awful lot in a 40 foot container. So even though the price is going up, you, you can probably amortize that against potentially many thousands of machines at the end of the line. So if it's a, if it's a temporary cost increase, and I think most people agree this is prices will settle. The question is, how soon and how quickly i don't think we're going to see a price crash because the market is basically controlled by five major shipping players and there's there's no sight to the end of this strong demand however components is spread across many thousands of machines when when you're shipping finished goods the the impact of the cost rise particularly on low cost goods like kettles for example is is far more severe this is all COVID related, but has Brexit got anything to do with this? It's got a little bit to do with it in terms of Tom's point on port congestion, because actually container prices have risen across across all the ports in Europe. So whether you're shipping into Zeebrugge or Hamburg or Felixstowe, we've seen increases, but the increases into the UK are even greater. And that's down to container utilisation. It's taking longer to get containers through ports and therefore the container utilisation drops because it spends longer sat in the ports in the UK and therefore the cost goes up because the uh, shipping companies can can utilise that asset of theirs uh, less efficiently than otherwise. So, and arguably Brexit has created, because of the administrative changes and the extra administrative burden, has added to some of the port congestions for sure. So, but it but it isn't primarily driven by Brexit, I would say, because we've seen very large increases from China to, to the to EU ports. And of course, that's not Brexit related. Let's go back to you here, Tom, because I'm now an expert in shipping logistics. Thank you, both of you. But really, there's two issues here, aren't there, for the retailer, for the, for the people who are actually getting the product at the end of the supply chain. One is the delays and one is the potential cost. So let's deal with the, the delays here. They've been complaining about delays actually for months. How long might this last? Do we have any idea how long it will take for the chain, the supply chain, to normalise itself? Do we have any idea or prediction of that? That's the $64 million question, really. I think we've seen some shipping lines saying that uh, their allocations for uh, availability of, uh, of container space, is, uh, you know, they're not going to be honoured until the end of quarter two. So I think we can see in some shape or form, uh, some of our shipping woes continue until then. There was some hope that Chinese New Year would allow some catch-up and stabilisation. I think um, that that is perhaps overly wishful thinking. Container ship reliability is really at its lowest level since the records began. Only about 44% of ships are arriving on time at the moment. So it's going to take quite a bit of time to unwind that performance issue. And you know, key to this really is going to be what global demand looks like over the course of the next 12 months. And I think if you ask any economist, they'll say there's stacks of upside risks and there's stacks of downside risks. So it's just a very unpredictable environment. Finishing on a, a positive note, I think there has been some positive signs that the spot price for shipping containers has started to level off in the last few days, according to reports. So hopefully there's, uh, there is some light at the end of the tunnel. Paul. Most retailers I talk to, it's the appliances that are causing them the grief when it comes to delays. You talk to these uh, manufacturers and, and brands all the time. What kind of predictions are they giving for, for when this might sort itself out? I'm not having any manufacturers tell me directly that 
their production in in Europe is being disrupted due to running out of components. So, you know, there are supply shortages, but but that isn't really due to this issue on large appliances. That is due to quite record demand in the last six months. Last year in the UK, over 12 million large appliances were sold and, and the market grew. So after a very weak second quarter, you know, that first lockdown we're in, when sales plunged 30% uh, on large appliances, we saw a massive recovery. And we went from businesses talking about how much they were going to be down year on year in 2020 to, to actually pretty much all our members were up in volume terms. So shortages at the moment are due to very high demand of which nobody forecast back in in may and june small appliances is more at risk not through components because of the delays to, to shipments because we're running quite hand to mouth on supply and, and stocks in trade are low if we get any delays more than a few days of appliances landing in the uk market you know having cleared customs then that may cause some shortages and i think most people expect the markets to remain strong certainly up year on year for the first six months of this year it may soften a bit in the second half when we've got much bigger numbers to to match but uh you know the prediction is demand's going to keep strong most members are expecting to do more business the first half of this year than last year so that suggests they're not overly concerned on serious supply constraints otherwise they wouldn't be forecasting up but i think in general terms is demand going to continue to be strong and might that have an impact on supply? I think that's quite possible. But fortunately, I would say that's coming from strong demand more than supply constraints. Which I guess you could argue is a nice problem to have. Well, it's better than not having the demand. So if, if you ask people, do you want to do you want a problem with not enough orders or inability to supply the orders you've got? I've, I mean, nobody wants either problem, but, it, but you're always going to choose the latter, aren't you, if you have to choose one? And, and of course, over time, production is catching up. There's pretty much no factories globally now that are, that are sharp or, or severely restricted. So over time, you know, that production capacity has come up. But, but as Tom said, we that there is a finite capacity of, of shipping containers to bring that stock, stock and component from the Far East. So that is a pinch point. OK, so, Tom, I'll start with you on the next one, the difficult one here. How long can suppliers soak up this cost for before it has to get passed on down the chain? to the retailer and then, I guess, ultimately the consumer. What are your predictions for price rises? Well, obviously, whenever price is raised in a kind of trade body setting, people like Paul and myself are immediately extremely nervous. Uh, we don't like to get into the business of that. It could create problems with the competition markets authority. But Okay, generally and hypothetically speaking. <laughs> there's plenty of noise and rumblings in the marketplace already, aren't there, about things like surcharges to cover some of the uh, the additional extra costs uh, involved in getting products to the UK at the moment. So I don't think that, that that's any secret. And I, I, put simply, these are enormous, extraordinary costs that would not only eat into margins, they'd completely wipe them out. So that there will have to be some sharing of the, the additional burdens here. I think the, the good thing about this situation is that the all of these problems are extremely well known to all of all of the actors. And I know both BMA and AMDIA feed into something called the Product Availability Group of the Construction Leadership Council, where we're talking as kind of groups of manufacturers with 
people representing different people in the supply chain, right up to the, the major housing developers and, and building contractors. So, you know, th- th- there's conversations happening. And I think the, the communication really between manufacturers as suppliers and and their retail customers is, is the key to, to getting good solutions. What do you think, Paul? What's your general uh, hypothetical prediction? I mean, I think certainly, you know, those that are bringing in small appliances, this is difficult. I mean, we all know margins are relatively thin across all, all consumer electronics. It's a volume game and you've got to really control your costs to, to make it work. So I, I, I would think that, you know, if these can take these sort of level of inflationary measures on shipping continued throughout the year, I mean, I think if you're a business, you know, and you're no longer making any money, you've got a choice, haven't you? You've either got to look to increase your price if you can't reduce costs elsewhere or or you you reduce the volume you've got to do something so uh, i would have thought there would be inflationary pressure but of course that's also tied up between the supplier and the channel so it's never a simple question of it's gone up five percent i'm going to put my price up five percent because we all know the complexities of of channels but the pressure's on and you know, long term, no one's going to sell product that they're going to lose money on or not make anything off. But uh, I think the question really is how long this lasts. If it starts to pricing starts to fall back over the next quarter, then it will take some of the pressure off. If it doesn't and demand remains very strong, you know, if if I was a manufacturer that could sell everything I could get was making no money, I think I'd want to look very carefully at what my solution was because there's no there's no businesses selling products and making no money. Is that that's a route to leaving a market? No, and I think for retailers as well, the problem always is that prices go up, but they very rarely come back down again. Yeah, I don't know if that's true in this market because it's a completely deflationary market. I only ever see prices true. coming down in consumer electronics. <laughs> the issue has always been maintaining value, you know, through innovation. So there's always downward price pressure if if you're not innovating in this sector, and it, it's very hard. You know, we've seen before on things like VAT changes, you know, where it's gone up, it's it's very hard to, to increase prices of existing products. It's not impossible, but it but it's tough. So, you know, people look to the overall efficiency of their business model and, and can you strip out costs? But we're you know, we're already in very lean business models all the way through the chain in this sector. So that's I would say it's impossible, but that's tough. I, I now feel much better informed about international shipping logistics. So thank you very much to you both. It will be very interesting to see, as you say, the unknown factor here is how long will this go on for, because that is ultimately the thing that will affect pricing. So, look, thank you very much, gents. That's been really interesting and informative, and we will catch up again soon. Cheers, Andy. Yeah, thank you, Andrew. Right, given everything that's happened and is happening with supply coming in and out of the country, has it made people think a little bit more about products made in the UK? So let's get the answer from someone who should know, and that's Mark Mills, the Managing Director of Mearway Kitchens. Hello, Mark. Hello, Andrew, and how are you? I'm very well, thank you. I'm feeling an awful lot better this week. Now, I'm sure everyone knows the Mirway name, but can you just give us the sort of potted 20-second outline uh, of who Mirway are, what they do, and what the kind of scale is here in the UK? Mirway, historically, has always been a family-run business, set up in 1986 by the Norris family, Len, Bob and Richard, making carcasses back in the day. Now we make complete kitchens, bathrooms and bedrooms, but the Mirway brand and the Trend brand, and... Recently, Bob and Richard decided to take a little bit of a step back and allow the management team with myself 
being the managing director, just take charge of the uh, of the business and move it forward into 2021 and beyond. Give us an idea of just sort of how many kitchens you make. We make on average about 2,000 units a week. So we're medium-sized business when it comes to kitchens, really. And I think on the bathroom side, they probably make about three to 400 units a week as well. So if you take an average of, say, 10 units to a kitchen, for argument's sake, you're looking at 200 kitchens a week. Which is not an insubstantial uh, manufacturing business for kitchens here in the UK. Now, as you said, you're relatively new to the MD's chair, took over in the summer. Mark, what the hell were you thinking? Because <laughs> what a time to take over a company like that right in the middle of, of a pandemic. What were you thinking? <laughs> well, um, in fairness to Bob and Richard, uh, they did ask me prior to COVID, uh, before the original lockdown in March, to take over. So um, we started to let a few customers know that I was coming back in January and February when we was at uh, KBB. But they decided to uh, to stay on as joint managing directors whilst we um, got through what we thought was the worst of the pandemic. Then, of course, we're back in lockdown again now. But, uh, yeah, I've got a strong team around me. I've still got um, Bob and Richard there in the background if I need their help. So um, and I've been with the business like, since 1995, so man and boy almost. So I've got quite a lot of experience working at me away so yeah although it seemed a crazy decision to make I wasn't too phased because I've been involved with the business for a number of years. Yeah and it's a very it's a very strong well-established secure company as well it's not like you're managing something that's incredibly wobbly. Okay look before we get on to the uh, made in Britain bit of uh, of me away you are a major supplier to this sector so look what's your assessment Mark of business and the market here and now? Well <laughs> surprisingly at the moment for me away in particular our order intake for January is is up on 2020, the same time frame. So we're about 5% up at the moment. We're, um, we keep waiting and expecting the slowdown to come, and we are prepared for it uh, as a business. But up till now, we haven't been hugely affected. That's not to say we're not expecting it. We think that February, March, that the order intake will slow down, and we anticipate that that will continue probably into about May time, we would have thought. Where are those orders coming from? Because obviously you will supply contract side of things and the retail market kind of thing. What, what's, is it about the same or is one holding the other up? So our business is broken pretty much into three when it comes to kitchens. You've got your independent retailers across the country and obviously we deal with the whole of the UK. We deal with a large department store as well that buys solely from Nearway. And we also deal with local builders, architects and so on uh, and tradespeople. So what we tend to find is that the large department store chain, that's starting to slow a little bit because uh, obviously they've had to close a lot of their department stores. So has the independent retailers. Although having said that, some of the uh, customers are working virtually, so they're offering online uh, appointments and trying to work online as much as they can and sending samples and so on via the post. So lots of customers are trying to find a way around, well, not around the system, but work safely and still be able to offer customers a service. And then you've got um, you've got the trades people, such as builders and fitters that buy and sell their own kitchens and fit them. They are also offering online appointments where they can. So what we tend to find is that the larger the larger retail customers are the ones that have been affected the most. And so we we tend to be getting more of our business through more of your one man bands at the moment, so to speak. On to the business at hand here. 
you're a very proud British manufacturer. Yes. Um, you have the, you literally have the Union Jack in your logo. Yes. Because of everything that's going on, COVID and Brexit, have you seen an increase in the conversations you're having or the direct inquiries about that status specifically? You know, are customers looking for that badge more than they have been before? Most definitely. I mean, we started to see a gradual increase in inquiries since Brexit became an ever-increasing concern for many businesses and consumers. So I would say we've been seeing more of an increase over the past couple of years. And also, there are some consumers that have specifically said to the retailers that they want to buy from a UK manufacturer because they want to buy what they consider to be more local to reduce the carbon footprint as well. So not only have we seen it through Brexit, we've also seen it as a result of people feeling that... um, it's a more greener option to buy from a UK manufacturer. But yeah, we're starting to see more customers coming our way, retail studios wanting to buy from UK manufacturers who historically have bought, have bought kitchens from our European counterparts. In the short term here, security of supply is, is the biggest issue. You want to make sure that somebody's going to get their kitchen if they, if they want it. How much do you think that interest is also about, uh, I'm trying to put this in a very sort of polite way, but about British kitchens just being a lot better than they used to be and offering a wider range of styles, a wider range of design that they don't need necessarily. They can match those big European manufacturers and suppliers in terms of quality and design. Yes. In all fairness, I think Mirway have always been able to offer something that's a quality uh, comparable to the Europeans. But I think if you take German kitchens, for example, there's always been that um, historical feel that. German engineering is, is, is just inbuilt in the German psyche. So I think customers or the consumer have always thought that if you buy a German kitchen, you're buying a better quality kitchen than you would a British manufactured kitchen, which just simply isn't the case. So I think with ourselves and many of and many of our competitors in the same market within the UK, we started to push and promote our products more and trying to convey to the consumer that buying a UK kitchen is is comparable to a continental kitchen, if not better in certain circumstances. And we offer a lot more choice there than we ever used to. As I said, that's not just Mirway. That'll be other manufacturers as well within the UK. So I think the choice is there and the quality is there. And why not buy from a British kitchen manufacturer? How are you taking advantage of that interest that's happening right now? Well, one thing we saw prior to Brexit, probably for the last year or so, is that we've had more and more Customers come over to to ourselves and other UK manufacturers, uh, and some of our independent retailers are being concerned about the lead times being pushed out by German suppliers, especially since the, the first lockdown. I found that the lead times are being increased, whereas we haven't increased our lead times at all. We've just made sure that we've had adequate spots to to um, accommodate our orders. So um, yeah, some of it is it's been down to being green and dealing with UK manufacturers, some of it is down to lead times because we offer a shorter lead time and others feel reassured by the UK supplier that they're going to get the complete kitchen. Whereas if you're buying a kitchen from the continent, especially with um, Brexit and everything not quite settled as regards to getting products into the country, it's more reliable to use a UK manufacturer at this moment time. But you manufacture in the UK, but you must get some components and raw materials from overseas so are you seeing some disruption of some of those things coming through to you 
Yes, we have. Uh, obviously, we've seen disruption from many of our European suppliers, and also they insist, some of them insist on using their own logistics and export agents, meaning more administration internally. However, we increased our stocks prior to Brexit just to cater for that disruption. And where possible, we, sw- we started to switch over to UK suppliers as well. From a wider perspective here, you're a volume manufacturer by UK terms. You need plenty of orders coming through that factory. How easy is it at the moment to plan for anything? <laughs> well, our operations director would say it's always tricky <laughs> due to offering a comprehensive um, offering really in short lead times, but somehow he always manages it. As I stated with the Brexit situation, really, we you know we hold stocks of products on where there are normally in a longer lead time. We make sure we've got plenty of stocks, and we continue to look to source products on the shorter lead times to help us to react quicker and hold less stock. Uh, but also, we do have a lot of experience within our business with many long-serving employees who you know who can help with the smooth out of production, you know the highs and lows of production. So obviously you can't always rely on the computer to give you every answer you need. So we take the data that we have and we use that to forecast, but we do rely on the experience of our staff and our managers to make sure that we can smooth out production. And we've always managed to plan ahead fairly, you know, fairly adequately and not have too many shortages when it comes to supplying our customers. Yeah, and that is one of the benefits of being here in the UK as well, isn't it? So that you, you've only got to think of, a, of what's happening a few hundred miles outside your door. Yes, indeed. Now, as we said, you took over as MD in the summer. You've obviously been with the company a very long time, but you're the business leader now. That's officially what you are. You're a business leader, Mark. What lessons do you think you've learned over the past 10 months that you'll carry forward? You know, and how you manage people and put teams together and how you you keep everything moving when crises happen? Well, firstly, (laughs) take nothing for granted, especially with what's happened over the last 10 months or so. I mean, as a, as a supplier to independent retailers across the UK, you know, our customers do expect a high standard, which is extremely challenging when you go um, from a factory shutdown, which we did back in March, April last year, and then we went to 100 miles an hour as, as soon as we opened. So it puts an extreme pressure on, on your stocks and on your workforce and your supply chain just to keep up with demand. So, I mean, it is imperative that whatever change we implement, that we always keep our customers up to date on what's happening and our supply chain, just so we can reassure them and allow them time to react. So good planning and communication, I feel, is the key. And working well with your with your colleagues and so on, just to make sure that uh, you listen to every side of an argument before you put a plan of action into place. And I do feel that... Be open and honest with your customers if you need to stretch your lead times because supply you've been let down by certain supply chains and let them know. Try to just be as um, as open and honest as you can and, and communicate to your customers where there is an issue so they can plan ahead as well. Yeah, it's so hard, isn't it? Because this situation is so unprecedented, there's that word, uh, and so difficult that I think the way different people and different personalities react, you know, it's a highly stressful situation. And you as the guy in charge have got to set such an example of keep calm and carry on, haven't you? Yes, absolutely. That's what I try to do. I am very much a team player, so I like to involve the management team around me and other managers and employees within the business. And I'm always trying to get by him. I just try to look at it as a, as a team effort, really, and just lead that team. So, okay, so here's the big crystal ball question. Uh, how do you see 2021 playing out now? What do you think is going to happen for the rest of the year? What's your predictions for how the market will go? 
you know, we're expecting or I'm expecting for the first half of the year will be slow and they're expecting a downturn in February through to May. And that possibly may drop as low as 50 percent for some months over that time period. Um, but then we're hopeful. I mean, none of us know because none of us do have that crystal ball, but we're hopeful as the restrictions ease and um, that, you know, we'll start to see a gradual increase with the final quarter of 2021 being similar to that of 2019. Not just from Earway, but across the fitted furniture industry as a whole, really. That's presuming we do get back to some sense of normality. For Mearway, we haven't Mearway and the trend brand, we haven't been, we haven't sat idle during this time. You know, we are working on some exciting new kitchen ranges and bedrooms and office furniture ranges as well to strengthen our portfolio and hopefully increase our market share within the UK. Yeah, that's very ambitious, very positive. Um, and it's it's interesting how everyone I speak to and I ask that question to is very positive. And I think it's a very genuine positivity as well. I, I think everyone's worked out because there's so much that you can't control yes. that's going on, that the only thing you can control is to move things forward in a positive way. Absolutely, yes. yeah, And that's what we're trying to do. So as we expect the order intake to decrease, we will slow down on certain projects that we're working on, but nonetheless, we will continue with them to a certain degree. And as and when we do come out of um, lockdown and we can start to see each other face to face again, then, you know, we will start to bring new products to the market and, uh, as I said, hopefully continue to increase our, our market share. So we're still very optimistic for the future, even through these uncertain times. There's one question that everyone's waiting for the answer for here, and it is the most important question of all. Mark Mills, when you get home, you've had a bad day, things haven't gone how you've wanted, you, you flop on the sofa, you pick up the remote control, what movie do you put on to cheer you up? What is your entry into the silence of the laminates? <laughs> well, you can't beat a good musical to keep you upbeat, so I'm going to go with Singing in the Rain. It's one of my favourite films, and it is also the second appearance of Singing in the Rain. Someone else chose that too, so it's the first movie we've had more than one choice for. Oh, right. It's an absolute classic. You can't go wrong with it. Thank you so much for sparing us a bit of time today. I really appreciate it. You've got a big company to run there, so thank you very much. Uh, And we will catch up again soon, hopefully, to see that your positivity is playing out in the right direction. Yes, thank you, Andrew. Thank you very much for your time. Stay safe and well, and I'll speak to you soon. See you later, mate. Right, let's head down now to the beautiful part of the world that is Dorset to catch up with Joe Moll from Ocean Bathrooms. Hello, Joe. Hi, Andrew. How are you doing? I'm doing absolutely fine, sir. Thank you very much. What's the weather like down where you are today? I've had everything today. It's been sun, rain, very windy, but yeah, getting better, hopefully. That sounds like every Dorset holiday I've ever had, but it's still a beautiful part of the world. So for those who haven't heard the previous time you were on, could you just give us the 20-second overview of Ocean Bathrooms? Yeah, Ocean Bathrooms has uh, been going since 1993, which my parents set up. We've sort of grown it from being a showroom in Bridport to setting up a showroom in London three years ago. Um, and then last year, we uh, set up another showroom in Poole near Sandbanks, uh, another Dorset area. And um, towards the end of last year, we decided to set up a mini what we've called a cove showroom inside another interior designer's showroom in Dorchester. Um, and we cover full retail supply and fit as well as contracts and projects. Yeah, so it's an ever-expanding, ever-growing enterprise, Ocean, uh, and a very successful one. So look, we last spoke to you back in October. And as I say, you're doing really well. You've just opened that new showroom. 
But 2021 obviously has started with a whole new lockdown, et cetera, et cetera. So how is business for you right now? We've had sort of up and down start to the year, I think, like everyone. I think just when we thought things were going to be a bit more easier, then they make it a bit harder. But um, we've had quite a lot of good inquiries still coming through from our home design service. We've managed to do a lot of work from home and with screen sharing and things. So we managed to do a lot of the work. And then with our fitting side and, and things, we've pretty much booked up till July, I think, at the moment. So that's that's pretty good. And then the contract side seems to be steadily coming through again, which is great. So, yeah, pretty happy. We'd always want more, but, uh, yeah, pretty happy at the moment. When we last spoke, that was really at the period when there was a very high level of demand. What we were trying to predict then was when that demand would slow down. How do you gauge the level of demand you're seeing now compared to that last quarter of 2020? Uh, January, there was a, a lot of inquiries to the start of it. It slowed down and then picked back up towards the mid-end. February seems to have started quite well. We have had quite a few people wanting the whole package as opposed to just trying to buy it and then use their own people. Uh, I think from what we thought about, you know, where people just want one point of contact, that's where it's gone. And I think it will continue to be more like that as well. And how's business in that new showroom? It's always hard, you know, getting a new business up off the ground, even for one that's extending uh, one like yours. So how's how's that gone? Uh, yeah, we've had we had quite a lot of inquiries when we first opened it, and we've continued to get a few across. Obviously, there's no one in the showrooms at the moment, so working a lot from home. But there's still a lot of people that would be quite interested coming into there when when we can properly do it. So hopefully, in the next couple of months or something, we'll see more of what's gonna come through but yeah i mean we've done sort of virtual tours of in the showroom and videos and stuff so people can see a bit more to give people a bit more of an idea and then obviously we took lots of photography and videos on the launch time so that was quite helpful so we can give customers an idea of what the showroom would look like so do you still feel that you are building up some kind of momentum for that new showroom for that new business yeah, I think um, it's only just started, really, I think. But um, we had a couple of inquiries this morning, and um, one of them was with four bathrooms and wanted it, the whole package supply, design, supply and fit, and under one person. So I think with the quality of the lead and things, then that sounds like a good progression, I think. And if, if you get a couple of those a week, then that would be brilliant. Yeah. So look, you're running there, I say, three separate showrooms. Two are down in the southwest, but obviously there's this London one as well. They're not open, obviously. So what what is the biggest issue you're having to deal with on a day-to-day basis? What, what gives you the headache every single day? You obviously get some people that still want to wait until they can physically see something, although a lot of people at the moment seem not too phased by it. Funnily enough, I think the ones in London aren't that worried about it, whereas the ones in the southwest are still want to come in to see something. And um, so that sort of slows the process down. At the moment, we've had a few things with Brexit with certain suppliers that because things are coming over has caused a little bit of a headache but we're kind of trying to hopefully resolve some of that hopefully soon (laughs) what i find fascinating about your business here is through this lockdown is that you keep moving forward that seems to be very important to you to keep moving forward all the time there's no sense from you that you're thinking well let's just hunker down get through this get out the other side and come out fighting when it's over you seem determined that this won't interrupt your plans Um, I think it's important that we look to outside this little part of the time where, you know, it is causing a few issues and we try and make sure that 
if you're going to have an opportunity that you make the best of it as opposed to sit back and hope that the good old days will come back which it might it might not so the more that you can do to create new opportunities i think is the best way to go with it all right so look what's your it's very hard i know but what's your prediction how are you viewing the rest of 2021 in terms of your business and the wider market how do you think it's going to go i think it's going to um i think for the next month or so i think it's going to be people still be a little bit cautious possibly but from the look of it it looks like people are starting to get slightly fed up now and want to push on with anything and i think if they think they're going to spend the next six months still at home whether lockdown is here or not then they want to have a nice home so pretty positive with the general outcome of what's going to come up i think and the project side i think that just continues so it looks pretty good which is great and very very positive and that's exactly what we want to hear so look here's the big question i've asked everyone this if you had to score yourself out of 10 for your business confidence for the next six to 12 months what would you give yourself uh, i'd say about an eight we've got a couple of things that we probably have got more to do i try and sit there and come up with five new things every month to see if there's something to do i think if i come up with a couple more things then we try and get to a 10 shall we but i think at the moment it'd be an eight <laughs> Well, you know, well, that's great. And actually, nobody's given them below a seven, which is really positive uh, assessment to the market. And I think an awful lot of it is about making yourself be positive, you know, realising that the only way out of this is to be positive. Great, thank you. Yeah, we've been looking at different collaborations, which helps with us and um, especially the new showroom that we've done with a couple of different people and the, the mini cove showroom. We've opened ourselves to other opportunities, always trying to push forward and be positive which is great. Well, look, thank you, Joe, for sparing us your time today. You're a very busy guy, and we will catch up again soon. Thank you, Andrew. Speak to you soon. That's it for this episode. A huge thanks to Paul Hyde, Tom Reynolds, Mark Mill, and Joe Moll. Don't forget, the closing date for the KBB Review Retail and Design Awards is Thursday, February the 18th. All the info is at kbbreview.com forward slash awards. See you next time. <laughs>